0: So, we invite you to remain standing for the reading of God's word. So, today our scripture comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. As we continue this sermon series on unity, let us hear this text. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, the man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do just pray. Lord, we pray for your goodness, your faithfulness, your love. We pray for your insight into your truth, Lord. We believe that your word is true. And it's just as true for us today in Mustang, Oklahoma, or wherever we're listening as it was 2,000 years ago when you said the parable for the very first time. So Lord, help us to hear your truth for us and for this world. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Arrogant, haughty, conceited, I don't know who you think about when you when you hear those words but if you would have told high school Aaron those words who does that describe I would have said well it certainly would describe somebody um, from Jinx Oklahoma Um, I went to to high school up in Owasso and um, and we just despised the Jinx Trojans they were in the middle of their um, football run where they just won every single thing all the time and, um, and I was convinced in my mind that not they were better than us at football. The scoreboard made that evidently clear. But also, they were worse than us as human beings. Um, and I was convinced that everybody from Jinx was arrogant, they were haughty, they were conceited, that they had this air about them where they thought That they were just better than everybody else. There was a smugness when I looked across the way. And what was weird about that was was they had such a smugness, smugness about them being better that then I had a smugness about thinking I was better than them as a person level, right? They may have been better at football, all right? But I was a better person than them. And I was convinced that everybody from Jinx was this arrogant person and so it was quite actually a surprise when I went to college and and, uh, one of our friends that we met in college was a lady by the name of Bonnie and she was from Jinx and she was a nice person and I was shocked because I had such a a, a, I don't think people understand well you all kind of get it Mustang Yukon you kind of get this sort of way of of just like I mean like I would refuse to buy gas in Jinx because I didn't want to contribute to their economy right Their, their football coach was a guy by the name of Alan Trimble who passed away um, from ALS. And, and from everything I understand, he was a great Christian man. But in high school, I didn't understand that, didn't see that. And, and so around Easter time, we would sing this song, Were You There, in church. Maybe you remember this, Were You There? And, and so the the chorus of Were You There goes, and sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. And I couldn't sing those words, all right, because I didn't want to, the, the association of that man and all this sort of stuff of jinx. That was, that was where my level of sort of, um, hate sounds like a strong word, and maybe it was, but that's where it was, right? And so, so I had this attitude towards them, all right? And so I was surprised when I found somebody who, 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 who didn't represent what I thought of those other sort of people. And I began to think that I was better than them because I wasn't this particular person. Way. Now, I do, like I mentioned, I think there's things that people are good at, um, and there are some things that people are better at. And so kids, um, in box one of, of your little books, or if you're watching at home, we'd invite you just to get some paper. In box one, I want you to draw a picture of something that you are good at, because we all have different things that, that we are good at, but that doesn't mean that we are fundamentally better are worth more than other people. But I think that's part of what we want to do as people is that we want to live lives that are right, that are good, and that are worthy. And we wanna be people who, who are right, who are good, and who are worthy. Now some of us are more consumed with that than other people, all right? that there are some of you that have to be right all the time, and you guys are the ones that are gonna to argue to us about everything, all right? There are some of us that, that spend so much time that we wanna be known for our goodness, that we're going to do everything, even pleasing people, to, to try to be good. And we all want to live lives of worth or accomplishment. That, that, we, we've, that what we've done in our life is a worthwhile effort. And so sometimes we spend a lot of effort trying to do those things. And I think this is actually a good thing. That to be right, to be good, and to be worthy, this is a good way to live. But so many of us, we take the lazy way in order to prove it. And so instead of just trying to live in God's rightness or God's goodness or in God's worthiness, all right, and living in the truth of what that means for us, we do the lazy, easy thing, which is to compare ourselves to others, all right? And so what what begins to happen is that we say, well, I'm more right than you, and thus I'm better than you. I'm better than you. My behavior is better than you, and so I'm better than you. I'm more worthy, I've accomplished more, thus I'm better than you. And we use this awful thing called comparison to raise ourselves up at the expense of lowering other people. And it's not just something we do today, it's something that's been around for a long, long time. And in fact, that's why Jesus used this parable was to show us about the art of comparison and how it often fails us. Now, he starts the story with this, and I think it's really important. He says in verse 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus often went to the religious people, and he pointed out their faults And their failures and he used this group called the Pharisees who struggled with self-righteousness and he gives us this clue to understand whether or not we are self-righteous and so that's this that if we we might have a self-righteousness problem if you treat other people with contempt if you scoff at other people if if you think I can't believe that I don't understand that if there's this contempt that sometimes comes out of you then we will sometimes struggle with self-righteousness. And so if that's you, and sometimes that's me, all right, that's one way that we can check ourselves in the midst of this. Now again, he was a he was particularly talking to the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees were religious leaders in those days. And, and let me just kind of give you an example of, of sort of the the level of religiousness and and sort of goodness that the Pharisees tried to have. All right. And so what a Pharisee would would try to Um, tried to do is they wanted to practice the law perfectly. Now, when I say the law, I don't just mean the Ten Commandments, all right? But um, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's considered the law. And in there, there are very particular laws about all sorts of things, all right? In there, you can find out what sort of insects to eat, And not eat in case you were wondering which ones were holy and not holy I think it's in Leviticus somewhere Um, some of you may look in the book of Leviticus for the first time in a long time trying to figure that out all right but but they they so they they would do everything they can to follow not only the Ten Commandments but the laws that were in there but also anything to keep them from particularly getting into that gray area and so let me give you a couple of examples including one from from modern day and so one of, the, one of the commandments is to keep the Sabbath holy. Now, one of the ways in which you would do that would be to not work on the Sabbath. Now, so then they had to begun, begin defining what does not working on the Sabbath mean? How do you, what, what can you do, what can't you do? And so I was told of, a, of an apartment building in Jerusalem that um, one of the things that was determined was work was to press a button on an elevator to go up or down. And so on the Sabbath, which was Friday night to Saturday night, this elevator would stop on every floor so that nobody had to press a button on the Sabbath. Imagine living living on the sixth floor and wondering, do I really want to go out because this elevator ride is going to take forever, right? And just all the way down and all the way up. But that was considered work. And so one of the reasons why Jesus was so critical and did stuff on the Sabbath was because they, would, they had these, all these things that said, this is work. And so instead of keeping the Sabbath holy, they kept the Sabbath restricted in that way and didn't even allow good things to happen. Now, another thing that you may um, have sort of heard about or may be familiar with is this idea of kosher. All right, so there's a scripture that says this, at no time can a, can a kid be boiled in their mother's milk. And so the idea being that you wouldn't want to have a goat that... that you were making dinner with that was somehow being cooked in in their own mom's milk. And so the way they did to protect that was that meat and dairy has to be prepared completely separate, All right, and that they would have all these restrictions about what would happen in the kitchen so that there wouldn't even be the chance that you accidentally cooked an animal in its mother's milk. Do you see the way in which all these restrictions... And so if you were a Pharisee, it means not only you, you didn't just live by the 600 laws or so, whatever it is in the, in the Torah, but all these other things as well. And so, so what would happen is because you've done that and all these other people are living free lives of, of, of not following this, like they began to think of themselves as better because they knew God's law better, they followed God's law better, and thus they believed they were better. And so, kids, in box two, as we talk about the Pharisees, I invite you to draw a picture, all right, of the Pharisee praying. And this is what it says when the Pharisee prayed. It says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, in those days, a tax collector would have been seen as sort of the the low people of society because they were people who often... Would, would rob people, and so you would have to go and pay your taxes, which I know is our favorite thing to do as well. And instead of, of sending your check into the IRS office, you would go to a tax collector, and, and he would tell you how much you owed. And so he may say, well, you owe $500, and really you owed 300 He was just going to take 200 as a cut for himself. And that was the idea of what tax collectors did, is that there was an assumption of their unjustness. And so nobody really liked tax collectors in the world. And so the Pharisee tried to set himself apart from the other people. He wanted to feel that that he was right, that the way that he was living was the right way. God, I thank you, I'm not like this tax collector. The tax collector's in the wrong, but I am right. And he also liked to think that he was good. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. And so that that his goodness is in this behavior. I think those are good things to do, but when they determine our own worth, it's when they become damaging things to us. And he wanted to know that his life was worthy. And so being a Pharisee meant that you had accomplished something, the following of the law all these days. And so he had this sense of self-righteousness. And so the Pharisee represents people who are self-righteous. And this is what we see happens, that when the self-righteous walk up to pray to God, they end up looking down at their neighbors, all right? Is, is when, they, when they come to an encounter with God, they begin to look down on other people because they feel like they are closer, because they are good, because they are right, because they are accomplished in those ways. But then we get a comparison to the humble. And the humble walk up to God and look down at their own heart. This is what it says for the tax collector. But the tax collector would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The humble walk up to God and they look down at their heart and they say what we call as the sinner's prayer, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And so kids, in box three, I invite you to draw a picture of, of the tax collector um, praying. What does he look like when he prays? And so we get these sort of different extremes. Uh, the self-righteous Pharisee who looks down on other people and the, the tax collector who can't even look up. You know, there was a sense, in, especially in the Old Testament and in Jesus' days, that God, we couldn't handle God's holiness. We couldn't look at the face of God, especially. We see that in the story of Moses, that there was too much holiness that was there. And that our approach to God needs to be a humble one. I think of that, that song, I can only imagine, right? That what will it be like when I, when I get to heaven? Will I stand before your glory or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing, sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? That, that when we encounter God, that, that it should be such a humbling thing. And really sometimes we can even see that in, in architecture and the way that, that churches were built. At the church I was at in Tulsa, we had a 1928 Gothic cathedral. It's kind of one of those classic cathedrals you'd see um, in England. And so when you walked in, it was just huge, vast place. And, and But one of the interesting things was in the narthex, which is the fancy church word for like the, the hallway leading up to it, all right, was that the ceiling was sloped downward. And the whole point of the ceiling being sloped downward is so that it would humble you before you walked into the vastness of God. Is that you would be humbled when you walked into the sanctuary in a place in which you were encountering God. My dad, uh, he was here at the first service, and he told me, he said that, that he heard a story one time of, of somebody who was telling a little kid about what, what the sanctuary was, and um, it was one of those sort of big cathedral sanctuaries, and um, so his parents said, well, it's kind of like God's house. And, and so when he walked in and he saw the vastness of the sanctuary, he said, wow, God must be really big. Isn't that the way it is? Is that we need to be in awe of God's goodness, of God's righteousness. Of God's worthiness, but so often we get consumed. Instead of looking at God or looking at our own faults, we begin to look at one another, and as we think about what it means to be unity, what it what it what it what it really means for us to be one, and that's what these these few weeks are about: is, is how do we practice unity in a world of disunity? One of the ways is that we have to have a posture of humility towards one another. Um, is that we, bel- we see the goodness in one another because we see the godness in one another. We see the brokenness in one another because we recognize the mutual brokenness that we all have. And the only way that we can move forward in a community is if our priorities are on Jesus, and we talked about that last week, but if our posture is that of humility. I shared this quote last week, but I think it's really important for this week as well. It's from a pastor by the name of Duke Kwan. It says, it's impossible to really love someone if you secretly believe that they need Jesus more than you do. And so what, what happens in, in our world is, is that we, we look at people and, and we, um, it's really easy to do it on, online, but it even happens in our world where we, we look at somebody and think, ah, I can't believe you believe that. Gosh, you really need Jesus, right? And we begin to we begin to think that of of people that, that they need Jesus secretly more than I do, that they're more fallen. The Bible doesn't say all, doesn't say most have sinned. It says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And it's not about who falls the shortest. It's about recognizing that all of us have a deep, deep, deep need for Jesus. And because I have a deep need for Jesus and I recognize that you all have a deep need for Jesus and I recognize that people who see the world in a way that I don't understand have a deep need for Jesus and I'm going to walk humbly believing that we have something to learn from each other. One of the books that our, our staff has been studying and reading is a book um, called Helping Without Hurting and it's, it's really about a, an approach to, to poverty, especially those who are experiencing material poverty. And what what it says is it says that they they don't need people who will just give them money and give them solutions, but that really a lot of times communities of of poor, they have assets that are already there, that God is already at work there. And so what they don't need is, is just our resources. They need our relationship and to help them unearth and discover the solutions to their problems that are already there. It's a great book, Helping Without Hurting. And it's this idea that we can learn something from one another, especially people who are different than us. And that we walk into a world humbly. I have, and so to do that, I think that we, as a people of God, we have to adopt these three statements that I'm about to say. I have been wrong. I am wrong. I will be wrong. All right? Husbands and wives, you especially need to adopt these statements. All right? I have been wrong. I am wrong. I will be wrong. Here's what I've noticed in the history of my own history is that I've been wrong about things. I think something's going to happen, and it doesn't happen. I I think this way about something I've I've read in God's word and then later on, I see it differently. I think we've all had that experience. We've looked at the Bible and then there's been a scripture that hits us in a way it's never hit us before. I have been wrong. And so knowing that, I believe that I probably am wrong about things right now. I cannot tell you, oh, I'm wrong about that because I would have changed my mind already. But I just know because of the history of my own fallenness and the history of humanity is that there are things I think or believe right now that I probably won't agree with in five years or in 10 years, all right? And that also, the hist- my own history and the history of other people tells me that I will be wrong. And so what that means is that we need to be people that are listening to one another, that go in with an assumption that we don't have it all figured out, but that we actually have things that we can learn from one another. And ultimately, what we are all trying to do is to learn from God. Because ultimately, to be a community, of unity, it means that I'm confident in God's righteousness and not my own righteousness. I am confident in God's goodness and not my own goodness. I'm confident in God's worth and not my own worth. And so that means that I don't have to strive or build my identity on these things, but instead I can just receive them. I think of this, this, this song that um, sometimes we sing, it's called Freely, Freely, and it says, freely, freely you have received, freely, freely give. Go in my name, and because you believe, others will know that I live. That because we receive goodness from God, we share it with others. Because we, we, we receive his righteousness, we, we share that with others. Because he's said that we are ch- children of God, that we are co-heirs with Christ, that we are worthy and accomplished, not because of what we've done, but because who we're in a relationship with, we are loved. And this calls me to humility, and it calls me to walking with other people. And so kids, in, in box four, I'd love it if you would write words or draw pictures like, what does humility look like or what are some words that you would associate with it? And so as we, as we walk together in humility, the posture of Jesus, Philippians 2 says it this way, um, that we are called to have the same mind of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with, we, with God as something to be exploited, but instead he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That the way of Jesus is the way of humility. It's the way of honoring other people. It's a way of walking together in love. Now a few years ago I had an opportunity to go to South Korea. Um, I always make sure I let people know I went to South Korea, not North Korea. Um, but I went to, to South Korea. And um, in there, um, one of the things, anytime you go to a different culture, you, they, they try to teach you a little bit ahead of time of what are some of the cultural practices. And so one of the cultural practices in Korea is to bow as a way of, of, of saying hi to people. Now, this is they probably, um, they probably got social distancing a little better because instead of handshakes and hugs, they're used to bowing to one another. Um, and so they taught us that one of the ways in which we can honor people is that we can bow. And they said especially... Um, they said sort of take your cues from the other person that um, if they bow lower, then you bow lower, all right? and right? We'll kind of wait for them to go up, but it's a way in which we say to another person, you're valued and you're honored. Now, I can't imagine us doing that in, in, in our American world right now, but I think what a great posture of the heart is, is to bow to one another, is to, is to honor one another, to say you're of worth and value You are loved, and I I value you as a person, not just what you can do for me or not just your opinion, but to your humanity I bow, and I'm reminded that we have something to learn from one another. And that also we do that as a people of God. I mean, that's part of even why we have this altar up here, as an opportunity for people to bow, because it humbles us and it reminds us that we are not God. That there is a sinner to the universe and it's not us. And that we're called to follow Jesus. And that's a pathway of humility. Because if you, if you kneel at your seat or at home or at this altar, it's hard to look down on somebody when you are bowing to God. It's hard to look down on somebody if you're knelt before our Father saying, Lord, save me, have mercy on me, a sinner. And one of the things I see do so lacking in this world, one of the things that I see that we're missing out on, and one of the best things I think the, the Christians can offer our broken world is humility, a posture of grace saying, you matter to God, and I want to walk with you, and I want to learn from you. And so much of what we see is people who won't do that, that say, I'm right, I'm better, I'm more accomplished. Instead of saying, let's do this together. And so I'm going to invite us to wherever you are to have this posture of humility and grace. And so as we sing our, our closing song here in just a second, um, I, I am going to go ahead and open up the altar. And, and if you want to come, and you're welcome to, to kneel at the altar if, if you need to. And just say, Lord, I'm here. And, and maybe I've struggled to, to love my neighbor, but I want to humble myself and walk with this community. So let us pray. So, Lord Jesus, Lord, so many of us—we we sometimes we look at the Pharisees and we think, "Gosh, I wouldn't be like that." But the truth is, we all find ourselves like that, We're, we we can become consumed with our own righteousness, with our own goodness, with our own worthiness, that we don't trust in Your worthiness, in Your goodness, and in Your righteousness alone. And so, Lord, we do pray that we would humble ourselves. Lord, most of all to you, but also to one another, knowing that inside every person is your grace. There's a spark of the divine. There's your Holy Spirit and your love. And so, Lord, we do fall down. And, Lord, we want to do our best not to compare ourselves to other people, but to, Lord, say, in your mercy and in your grace, have mercy on us, a sinner. Lord, may we stand so in awe of you, that we walk on our knees on the path of the cross. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, Please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.